Day 43, posted November 20th, 2002, 11.24 p.m. The overrating of melody and lyrics. Since Willie took me out for two dinners, I decided it was my turn to pick up the tab. So I took Willie and Rod out for breakfast. It seems the studio doesn't supply muffins, just a small bowl of fruit. But eating breakfast is critical to a good day's work. Our breakfast costs more than a typical dinner for three in L.A., but I'm growing accustomed to the fact that there's no need for any bills of less than $20 denomination in midtown Manhattan, as I'm basically working smack dab in the middle of the biggest tourist trap in the world. I have been assured by Harley, whom I spoke to last night, that the console will work without a hitch, and that the studio is completely set up and ready to go. Rod made sure that every mic was working, in its proper location, and ready to be placed. Rod is awesome. There's nothing like having an assistant who's done his own sessions, because that person understands fully how to be most helpful. Most assistants out of school know nothing other than some theory and, through no fault of their own, have no capacity to actually think ahead. Recent graduates have not actually been through the process, and they've not had to deal with the consequence of their own inadequacies. Rod, on the other hand, knew the process well and could plan ahead in order to keep the session running smoothly. For instance, without my asking for it, Rod plugged a talkback mic at each person's stations into the same wall input so that all the talkback mics would be going to one mic pre. And then he patched them to tape to be recorded. I always record the talkback mics, but I never told Rod this. How did he know? Rod also took the liberty of doing some A-B tests on the mics in order to find the best particular mic of each model that was available to us. He wasn't making judgments of what models I would use. I already made those initial decisions in my setup. He was picking the best specimen of the particular models I requested, as studios many times have multiples of the same microphones. Mics are like instruments. There are mass-produced instruments that tend to be fairly consistent in their quality, and then there are the handmade instruments that have a wider variation of sound. For instance, you can't find two Yamaha C7 pianos that sound or feel the same. Microphones are no different from instruments in this way. While identical models of mics will have distinct similarities to them, they each will have their own sonic imprint. The differences between identical microphones can be staggering, especially when you start getting into very old microphones. Past environments, care, and maintenance of said microphones are key factors in how a microphone sounds. A 30-year-old microphone that was once a benchmark specimen of its model, if poorly maintained and cared for, can sound absolutely awful. Years of dust and smoke can wreak havoc on the capsule. There are techs that specialize solely in the refurbishing of old microphones, offering modifications that improve the mic or the service of bringing the mic back to its original specs. Because of the individual nature of microphones and the large range of discrepancies possible between identical models, picking one is not quite as simple as picking a model number and just grabbing whatever one happens to be handy. At the same time, it's not necessarily beneficial to the session to be trying out 10 C12s as the band waits for you to find the best one. It's better to keep the session moving than to be assured you have the best microphone in the joint. Rod did me the best favor he could have done. He found the lousy-sounding microphones, and he rejected them. This saves me time in trying to determine why something doesn't sound right. This sort of assistant is invaluable to keeping a session running smoothly. After breakfast, Willie, Rod, and I headed for the studio. 
When we got there, we were once again stopped by the security guard. What session are you here for? Bitch slap. Hardvark. Names, please, he said as he looked down on his clipboard. This was ridiculous. Was it going to be like this every day? Willie Show, Mixerman, and Rod. I don't have any Rod on my list. We went through all of this yesterday, I said, getting annoyed and breathing deeply through my nose as Dalai Lama had taught me. Well, that was yesterday. This is today. I'll call up and get some verification if you like. Please. The security guard made his call and eventually allowed us to pass. When we entered the womb, I waited like a small child waiting for approval from his parent after coloring all over the walls. Willie hadn't seen the studio decorated yet, and this was, for all intents and purposes, the unveiling. I was grinning from ear to ear. Willie obviously couldn't believe his eyes. Wow, I love what you've done with the place. I could die in this room. A tear came to my eye. This was exactly how I felt. I was filled with pride on my accomplishment of transforming a veritable vacuum of anti-vibe into an overflowing waterfall of warmth and beauty. Every square inch of the drab walls was covered with gorgeous, unique tapestries. Icicle lights were dangling all along the borders of the ceiling to the wall. Handmade candles sat atop beautiful metal candle plates. Incense boxes stood ready for their ash collection abilities. Pillows and a blanket transformed a cold leather couch into an oasis for listening in absolute comfort. This was now a womb, a place that I could die in. And from the sounds of it, Willie, too. Thanks. Everything was perfect. The love in the room was mind-boggling. We had a team that was able to conquer any obstacle. We had Rod, the superhuman assistant who, like the great chess player Kasparov, was 25 moves ahead at all times. We had Willie, our fearless leader, who has been so patient in this process of making what would undoubtedly be a landmark album. Ahem. There was me, who regardless of my talents or lack thereof as a recordist and mixer, at the very least could stake the claim to decorating a room to perfection. I was floating in elation. Then Bitch Slap walked in. What's with the Christmas lights? Harmon complained with that ultra-repressive, whiny voice as he entered the womb. I hugged him, although I wanted to punch him. I liked him, replied Johnny on the spot, who was right behind him and was now hugging Willie. If you love me like I love me, baby, we could fall in love. If you love me like I love me, we could fall in love. Love me. Well, I think they suck. And and what's with all the faggy pillows on the couch? Harmon continued as Johnny made his way to me for a hug. I couldn't help but see the humor in the fact that all these men were hugging and Harmon was bitching about a couple of pillows being faggy. Hey, I'm going to put these three lava lamps over by me. Johnny stated as he pointed to what I called my triad of power. The triad consisted of three lava lamps arranged in a triangle on a speaker stand behind the console. I gave you three lava lamps in your apartment over there, I replied, pointing to his area in the room. As you may recall, I like to give the players their own little sections of the room with a comfortable chair, a nice wool rug, some candles, lights, whatever I can scrounge up. Yeah, but wouldn't it be rad for me to have six lava lamps in my apartment? Yes. I'm sure it would be rad, you miserable, selfish cunt, I thought to myself. 
Sure. Be my guest, I said, choosing the more diplomatic route of giving the singer, and technically the client on this session, what he desires. I considered buying three more lava lamps because I really loved having the triad of power right in front of me. But I didn't bother sending the runner out, because if I set up a new triad, Johnny would most assuredly want nine lava lamps in his apartment. Willie had already sparked up a fatty as everyone was half-heartedly introducing themselves to Rod and Lightning. After taking a long draw, Willie handed me the fatty, but I passed. I hadn't had a fatty since the last bitch slap session. I hadn't even thought about a fatty since then. I decided that I would resist the fatties for as long as I could. The band was mingling about the room when the new drummer walked in. He was a handsome African-American man with awesome shoulder-length dreadlocks. He stood about six feet tall, and he was obviously no stranger to the gym, as he was in excellent shape with sharply cut muscles. He introduced himself. It's good to meet you. These guys speak quite highly of you. He said as he shook my hand with a not-too-firm, not-too-weak handshake. Likewise, I replied, forgoing my usual smart-ass response of, Indeed. I thought your drum audition tape was great. I'm glad they picked you for the gig. Um, me too, he said, and it would have been fine for him to have left it at that. But somehow, he felt the need to continue. I think. That particular comment told me that our new drummer was an intuitive and smart dude. He obviously understood that on the surface of things, he's in a very good position playing for a band that has as much support as they do from their label. But underneath the surface, he must know there is something very, very wrong. <laughs> I know what you mean, I said with a chuckle, hoping to let him know that I'm well aware of how fucked up the dynamic is with this band without fully giving away my position on the matter. Not wanting to belabor the point, I suggested that we work on drum sounds, and he graciously went in to adjust and tune his drums. The guy could actually tune his own drums. Sadly, this is quite unusual in this day and age. The moment our new drummer was situated and ready to play, Rod was moving the mics in and around the drums. We had drum sounds in less than ten minutes flat. It was the antithesis of working with dumbass on drums. This guy played his drums with balance, tone, and feel. Quite honestly, I could have used one well-placed quality microphone, and I would have had a better sound than I ever got with dumbass. Willie entered the womb and absolutely loved the drum sound although he wasn't quite sure about the snare drum. But that was as easy to fix as changing out the snare drum. As Rod and I were working on the drums, Lightning was working with Harmon to set up his bass rig. By the time we were done with drums, I was able to work on the bass sound, which took considerably longer than the drums. I didn't particularly care for the bass amp that we had rented. It was an Ampeg SVT combo with the standard 8x10 cabinet, but it wasn't a particularly good specimen so I ordered another head and cab and an Ampeg B-15, just in case. We moved on to guitar sounds, which didn't take much time at all. Before I knew it, the band was making music, although we were only using the direct signal of the bass, as the amps didn't arrive for hours. Unfortunately, when you order rental gear in midtown Manhattan, you can expect to wait half a day before it arrives, as the traffic makes it impossible to get anything quickly. That's why so many couriers use bikes there. It's considerably faster to get around Manhattan on a bike than it is in a truck. There aren't many people who could cart a 100-pound Ampeg head and a 5-foot-tall SVT speaker cabinet on their backs while riding a bicycle. So we had to wait for a truck to get through midtown Manhattan. The new drummer was awesome. 
I mean, this guy kicked ass. Even Harmon played halfway decent when he played with the new drummer. Everything was fantastic. I was happy, the band was happy, and we were ready to record once the bass amps had arrived. Everyone was super hot on the new song, which they had been writing since they arrived in New York. The band members wanted to start with that song, and Willie did nothing to dissuade them. Unfortunately, the song wasn't fully written, and they needed to finish it. They didn't have a melody they were sure of in the chorus. They didn't have the bridge fully ironed out, and they had very few lyrics. Even the form of the song was still up for discussion, which is no great surprise since the lyrics weren't done. Yes, I could see why they were so hot on this song. The band spent the entire rest of the day trying to work out the song. Lightning Rod and I pretty much sat around for the remainder of the day. Sure, I would occasionally make adjustments and dial in the sound a bit more, but you can only do this so much before you start destroying what you have. So for the most part, I laid around in the womb. By the end of the day, we had recorded nothing, because for some inexplicable reason, this yet undeveloped song was very important and was going to be a surefire radio hit, so long as they came up with a great lyric and a great melody. Oh, is that all? Mixer Man. Mixer Man.